So let's just get started. Good morning, Suzanne. Good morning, Bob. Good morning. I have into I have listened I listen to your show every Saturday. And I appreciate I am, that. Um, thank you. <laughs> I, I learned a lot from you uh, and laugh too. Uh, I, I've got these. I live in the country, and I've got these nice live oaks that are hundreds of years old. That I've got uh, oak wilt that's it's in the area. It's not on the neighbor property, but I would like to use the corn corn water tea treatment for them. Right. And I'm I'm assuming I can use corn chops instead of cornmeal to make my tea. Any form of uh, corn that is not, you know, when they make what they call enriched cornmeal, they polish off like 14 essential nutrients and put nine of them back. I think that's what George Bush used to call fuzzy math. As long as it's just whole ground corn, it doesn't really matter whether it's the entire corn kernel, where it's the core, whether it's the corn chops, or whether it's actually ground down into a meal. I think the more finely it's ground, of course, the more surface area there is, but corn chops will work just fine. You know, again, uh, put five gallon bucket, put maybe a cup of, a cup of corn chops in there and let it stand anywhere from 12 to 36 hours. And, uh, uh, if you've got that many trees and they are that large, you're going to be doing, you know, quite a few buckets full. But if you know any bakeries or any places like that, chances are they will just give you as many as you can carry of those five gallon plastic buckets because they get a lot of different things. Everything from frosting to eggs come in those. And, uh, you know, just, uh, what I would do is just, you know, put your buckets, buckets out around the tree, put your corn in, fill them with water. And then the next day, move them over to the next tree and do the same, and you'll be doing. And there's more and more research, uh, documented research in the literature now, showing that this does work both for preventing and for curing oak wilt. It's through something, uh, I believe it's called SIR, systemic induced response, or something like that. But you're basically building up what passes for an immune system in the trees and uh, it's getting to be more and more widely accepted as fact. I don't think uh, uh, Texas A&M has gotten on board with it yet, but you know, that's because they live on grant money from a lot of the chemical companies, including the ones that make this very expensive stuff. They wanted you to inject into the trees, but uh, corn water tea does work. And um, you know, there's no time like the present to get started. Okay. Uh, as far as application, um, how many gallons do I need per inch of truck diameter? I would figure probably somewhere, oh, let's see, probably about a gallon for every inch and a half or so, uh, say two gallons for every three inches of trunk diameter. So trees up to six, eight inches, a five-gallon bucket's going to, you know, be plenty. Trees that are in that 12, 15-inch category, two to three buckets. And some of your monster trees, four to five buckets. Yeah, that's what, what I've got are some monsters. Um, I can't get my arms around the trunk. Oh, lucky you. Um, trees like that are such yeah, special things. Yeah, and it's just like... It's far, it, it, and they're far away from a hydrant, but I think I've got the mechanism figured out. I would put uh, water in five gallon buckets in a trailer behind my John Deere. And, yeah, you know, yeah, that'll get work. Get out there that way. How, how far out from the trunk do I go? Maybe 10 feet. 
this is one of the things that has changed. We used to think we did everything out around the drip line, but the research these days shows that most of the liquid that's taken up by the tree is taken up much closer to the trunk. So uh makes it a lot easier. It means we have to use a lot less material. But somewhere in that, uh, you know, 8, 10, 12-foot uh, radius out from the trunk is as far as you need to go. All righty. Um, I have one more question. Do you have time? Yes, absolutely. All right. I brought my, I'm growing plumeria for the first time from a cutting that a friend gave me last winter. Okay. Which I rooted. And I put it in a clay pot, and I didn't think too much about that because the pot's heavy. And then what I, I thought I could transfer it to a plastic pot to bring it inside, and I can't. It, the, the roots have stuck to the clay. <laughs> okay. So I drug the whole thing inside uh, because I, I I knew that I had to. Uh, I didn't put it in my garage. It's in my living room looking horrible. Um, and I depri- I'm depriving it of water. Is that right? No, you just I would just treat it the same way you did when it was outside. It's perfectly no. normal for it to drop all its leaves in the winter months. But, um, you know, it, it will or it won't. Uh, but, no, it's it will get by if you deprive it of water. But it'd be happy. You're not going to have to water it nearly as often in the winter months. But it, you know, it, it lives uh, where you see the great majority of them growing is places like Hawaii. And out there, it's, you know, rarely it doesn't even get close to freezing. And most of the places where you see them grown don't really have a dry season. There are parts of the islands that are year-round very dry. But uh, um, it's convenient for us that we can let them go dry and they'll still survive. But the, the plant would be happier, you know, just uh, year-round tropical conditions. Okay, I can do that. I mean, it still has some leaves on it, so and I, I know how to stick my finger in the in the soil. Yeah. To, you know, I'm not going to water if the soil is moist. So. Well, yeah, it's uh, just water thoroughly when you water, but let it go till it's dry about a knuckle deep before you water again. And if you look around, you can find a good heavy-duty, we just call them plant dollies or plant trolleys. Always get one that has four casters on the bottom rather than three. Those three-wheel things just tend to tip over too easily. But uh, I'm guessing you'll probably spend 20 or $30 on the on the trolley and you'll save yourself a hundred dollars in chiropractic visits but uh sure does make it easier to move those heavier pots around but they make some really good uh, really heavy duty they're both uh painted and you know all sorts of different iron trolleys i think are the best and uh they'll sure save you when it comes to moving those plants around and thanks for the tip i'll look for one but do look for the four-wheel model not the three-wheel model and you'll be very glad it's a great well, that's a great tip. Yeah, I don't want it tipping over. That's no, especially idea. on you. <laughs> well, Suzanne, you have a uh, wonderful day. I appreciate the call, and uh, we'll Thank talk you. again. Thank I'll you so you. much. Uh-huh. Bye. All right, next up is Kay, and then it's going to be Rosa. Good morning, Kay. Good morning, Bob. Good morning. I called, I don't know, a couple of weeks ago or so about uh a couple of smaller oaks in the pasture that had a little fence around them, and right. one had a wee satch growing inside, one had a hackberry. Mm-hmm. And I I got someone to take the fences down and to cut those off. Did not put anything on them yet, 
because the weasatch, the trunk, is about maybe two or three inches away from the oak, mm-hmm. and the hackberry maybe five or six inches. You're right. And I did not want to pour diesel that oh, no. close. No, no, you would not do that. You know, the there are various things that you can do. Um, one thing that will help a good deal, if you can dig down just slightly around you know, what's left of the trunks of the Weesatch and the Hackberry, and get a, you know, just a, a tin can, uh, you know, a can from sliced peaches or something like that. Uh, just turn it upside down, put it down over the top. Those things are going to try to sprout out from the top, and you'd be amazed how much you can restrict the growth just by <clears throat> just by turning a can upside down and putting it over that trunk and periodically something will try to come out below that and if you do it when uh soft and tender things just break right off but up that close to a tree you will want to save no there's not really anything that uh that you can put on there that will safely kill the unwanted tree without harming your oak tree but uh you can really like I say you can really hinder it just with nothing more than a metal can turned upside down and you know, slid over the trunk. Does that make sense? Uh, if this is TV, I can show right. you exactly what I'm talking about. But Yes. Uh, I've done that in the yard with tiny, like, hackberries. Mm-hmm. But these trunks are, like, maybe four inches across yeah, you're gonna, You're going to so need a big can. A can? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Yep. But uh, that's that's the best I can really tell you. I mean, if if they were so big you couldn't find a can that big, I'd tell you to get a couple of old shingles and put on top of them or just anything that's going to inhibit the growth. Now, the hackberries are oh, they're just, you know, the, the nuisance trees of the world. They're probably going to try to sprout up off the roots out away from the trunk and just take your grub and hoe and whack that off when they do it. And eventually they'll give up and die on you. But uh, it will sure remind you next time to not let them get so big <laughs> before you, you get out and get after them. But uh, there there is no safe other way to do it. The other option would have been you know, to girdle them, to uh, very carefully go around and strip the bark off all the way around the trunk for five or six inches, and then just leave them alone. They'll look healthy for about a year, and then they fold up and die just overnight because you've cut off the nutrient supply going down to the roots. But once you have cut that tree away, um, then it's going to try to sprout out from the lower part. So too too late to try the girdling. But uh, next time you have a tree that size, call me and we'll talk about how to girdle it. And uh, then you then you wait about a year because the tree continues to look good. It's still got the xylem tissue toward the center. It's pushing the water up to the top of the tree. But what you've done when you girdle, when you take away that tissue that's just underneath the bark, you've taken away the tissue that conducts the nutrients from the leaves down to the roots, uh, the roots run out of nutrient, and then the tree just folds up and dies overnight. That's how our forefathers cleared land when they first came to this continent. And, you know, we're clearing land for farming purposes. They girdle, come back a year later, and pull the stumps out, and voila, we had arable farmland. So that's the option if you ever want to do that before the nuisance tree is removed. But since the since the trees are cut down at this point, just capping the trunk off just giving it all the hindrance you can to try to come out again it's going to be the the best option and it will work well i remember now now that you mention it 
that you talked about the girdling before. I totally forgot about that. And I never even considered girdling a wee satch. You can do that, right? Any any woody tree. You can't girdle a palm tree. tree or sago or something like that, but oak, elm, wee satch, mesquite, um, you know, any tree that has that woody trunk where it has basically the xylem is the central core of the trunk, then you have your cambium layer, then you have the phloem on the outside of that. Uh, anywhere that you can <clears throat> take out, in effect, totally disrupt that phloem tissue, which is what takes the nutrients that are manufactured in the leaves through photosynthesis. That's what conducts the food stuff down to the roots of the tree, and you've just sort of cut off the tree's food supply, but again, the tree doesn't know it. It's still got water going up at the top of the tree, and it thinks everything's fine. All of a sudden, the roots run out of stored nutrient, and then the tree just falls up and dies. So that's what girdling's all about, but uh, we'll consider that next time around, because inevitably, you're going to have some of those trees you don't want come up somewhere else, and you'll get to do this all over again. Hey, I have one more question about it. And uh, the root flares had never been exposed. Mm -hmm. And on one of these little old trees, I exposed the root flare, and there are four girdling roots around it. And a couple of them are as big as my wrist. Mm -hmm. Can I still chisel those away? Yes, you can, and you probably should, but it needs to be done very carefully because you can build up a lot of pressure, and when you cut that root, it can pop away with some force. Uh, it might be something you'd like to talk to a good arborist about doing, and uh, but it's, um, yeah, it's they, it, they will cause problems long-term if you don't, but when you have a big tightly bound that's kind of like a really big rubber band and uh Kay's going to get down there and cut it but you better watch out for the loose ends when you do well the the roots the girdling roots are not from the oak they're from like uh one side from the hackberry that oh, okay. was cut down yeah and then the other maybe from the i think there was a cedar a little cedar sure. tree and one of them is from the cedar tree yeah well they're still even though those are going to have cans put on them, mm -hmm. I'll still need to. Get I rid would. Of those I would. Roots. I would get rid of those girdling roots if you can. I sure okay. would. Okay. All right. Thank you so much. You're you, always so helpful. It's what I'm here for. I appreciate that. Call Kay and uh, let me get Rosa in here before the news break. Good morning, Rosa. Good morning. Good morning. I just have. <laughs> I have a question. I know you said it before. I do not remember. Uh, I have bees under my mobile home, uh -huh. and uh, about three years ago, uh, I had the same problem, and there was a sign, we remove bees, so I called, and this woman came out, and I thought she was going to do something to take them away, but instead she sprayed them, she must have killed a million bees, uh -huh. and I don't want that anymore, uh, who can I get that doesn't charge an arm and a leg to come and take the bees away? Call the Alamo Area Beekeepers Association. Um, they, you know, it, this is a, it's a really, really good group. They have members all over the area. And some of them will take the colonies, even if they are Africanized. There's a fella, I can't say his name, came and did a seminar for us one time. And uh, he, you know, he even doesn't mind if there's some Africanized genes get in there with it. But I always... Uh, you know, and, and like I say, these great guys, I talk to them. They usually have a booth uh, 
and the ag building down at the rodeo, but I'm sure you could uh, um, find it. Just Google Alamo Area Beekeepers Association. I don't have that number in front of me. I'd happily give it to you. But that's that's mm-hmm. where I would look for a beekeeper and let them know that you're interested in actually relocating the colony, that you're not just interested in killing it. Oh, wonderful. Oh, okay. Okay, I think that's all I had this morning. Enjoy your show so much. <laughs> well, I sure do appreciate it, and hope you have a great weekend. Looks like a really pretty couple of days today and tomorrow, and then watch out because somebody left the north door open, and we're going to get uh, pretty chilly next week. But we've got two great days coming up in the meantime. Okay, thank you so much. Thank you, Rosa. And goodbye. All right, well, it looks like it's going to be Elroy and Joyce, and then you. Uh, good morning, Elroy. Morning. I apologize, I picked up your program too late, and I'll call the tail end of your uh, deal on Woke Wilt and yeah. your five-gallon water cans, and I didn't catch the formula. Well, you just, uh, what they are finding is that the whole ground cornmeal, whether it's just you know, kernel corn, corn chops, or whole ground cornmeal grows that beneficial fungus we call trichoderma, which goes a long way toward making sure that your oak trees don't ever get infected with oak wilt. And the thing to do is to, for every five gallons of water, you want to use uh, probably about a cup of cornmeal. You want to let it soak for anywhere from 12 to 36 hours. And then you simply pour it around the tree, usually about 10 feet out from the trunk. You don't have to go all the way out to the drip line. And how big the tree is, up to six, eight inches in diameter, probably five gallons is enough. Bigger trees, you'll have to, of course, do multiple buckets. But Research shows that doing this about every six months uh, really builds up what passes for an immune system in the tree and really makes your trees much, much more resistant to getting oak wilt. And if a tree is not too badly infected, it will actually cure oak wilt in a tree. But it's uh, half a cup to a cup of cornmeal per five gallons of water, soaked for a day or two, and then just poured around the uh just around the root system of the tree uh eight or ten feet out from the trunk the exact distance not important but you certainly don't have to go all the way out to the drip line okay yeah I, I got a big problem i got a 42 inch pipeline coming across my property and naturally i'm i'm gonna have to fight them fight all kinds of stuff oh yeah and and that's uh, it, I'm glad it's that simple. <laughs> well, it is that simple. And, you know, if they, in their trenching process, if they cut roots and if they leave that trench open for any length of time, you know that those uh, cut roots could also be a place that oak wilt could get into the tree. So uh, where they cut roots of any size, unless they're going to refill the trench immediately, then they need to spray those with some sort of paint to seal them, just like we do the wounds above ground level. Now, hopefully they're going to be efficient. They're going to open the trench, drop the pipe in, and cover the trench right back up. But uh, anywhere that they're, that they're going to leave it open for any length of time, uh, you need to tell them and put it in writing that uh, uh, if they don't seal those roots and if you should have an oak wilt problem, that they're going to 
they're going to owe you a bunch of money because uh, uh, a lot of the power companies found out the hard way when there were some pretty big lawsuits settled against them because they failed to paint wounds above the ground. But tree root wounds can be just the same. So uh, let them know how important it is to fill that trench in immediately. Yeah, we negotiated with them for two months and well, they promised all kinds of things, but you know how they do. Oh, I know. They Always. promise and just ignore it. Yep. Yep. That's when you get it in writing. And uh, um, you know, I, I, much as I do not care for most lawyers, most much as I do not care that much for having to go to court over things, that's sometimes the only thing that some of these companies understand. And uh, um, it's, it's, it's sad that that's what the world has come down to, but... Unfortunately, not all the, some of the companies are very, very good. Some of them are very nice people to work with. And, uh, a lot of them though, were kind of on the other end of the spectrum. And, uh, <laughs> I guess we can say that it's a shame that 95% of the, of the pipeline layers out there give the rest of them a bad name. Yeah. Well, they, they hire contractors and you'll never see them again. You know, they're well, in yeah. one day and out the next and you'll never see them again. Right. Well, have experience out on a few other issues, so I certainly wish you the best with it. But uh, you let them know about the importance of uh, of getting those trenches refilled very rapidly, and you do your part to reduce the potential for oak wilt. And you call me any time; I can help you. Okay, well, thank you a lot. It's always a pleasure, Elroy. Always good to hear from Bye. you. Bye. Okay, Joyce is next, and then Bill. Good morning, Joyce. Good morning, Bob. Well, good to hear your voice. How are you this morning? Well, no, I don't know whether it is good to hear my voice, because <laughs> I'm not blessed with, or I'm not um, uh, plagued with much allergy, but something blew in this last time that causes me to go into sneezing. Well, you... And sneezing leaves me with a croak, so I hope I've shed enough of my morning croak that I don't sound... You, you sound just fine, and next time you're over near Rhonda's Nature's Way, stop in and try some of her seasonal allergy relief. It's uh, I'm like you. I rarely get affected by allergies, but boy, she sure helped me out when I needed it last year. Yeah, that sounds like a good deal, and I'm very close to that, so I certainly right. am going to try that. Good. Um, our friend or your friend, I guess, uh, Mr. Hummingbird Mark from Fredericksburg said something the other day. I think he's a friend to everybody. Yes, ma'am. <laughs> well, I'd love to see that place. I really would. It's too bad they're not open to the public, but I, I wouldn't be either. If I, I understand. I think he may have some pictures and things online. We'll have to ask him about that. And uh, I should uh, just carry around a list of different little websites, but uh, I, I I come in here without much uh, other than uh, than a cup of tea and my headphones. But uh, we'll get Mark to give us his uh you know, his his website again where you can actually go see what all he does. But anyway, interesting people and nice people. Yes, and what I, what he said and what's causing this call is when he talked about losing his Malabar spinach, which, you know, he said mm-hmm. he likes, and I like it too. This is the first year I tried the red Malabar, and it's not spinach spinach, but I like it. Right. And he talked about wanting to get seeds. Now, I, I see on mine, I know those little black balls are seeds. They mm-hmm. look, But the, the question is... I went up to one. They're not loose, 
and I took one and squeezed it off and got red fingers. <laughs> <laughs> yes, she will. And there's a, a black seed or a, a, a firm seed in it. But how in the world do I, uh, when is it ripe and what do I need to look for? How do I need to treat it to keep some of those seeds? Well, what I do, and I would leave them on the plant as long as possible. Eventually, you know, they will come loose a little more easily. But I just put them out on parchment and let them dry. I don't try to, you know, take the meaty part off or anything. That's what Mother Nature meant to help that seed get off to a good start. But I leave them on, in this case, probably until they freeze, which may be Tuesday morning. We'll wait and see. But uh, then I just put seeds on, uh, I guess you could use wax paper, but parchment is uh, a little easier and certainly no more expensive at the grocery store. And let them dry, then just put them in an envelope, put them in a jar in the refrigerator, and you wait till next spring, and you get virtually 100% germination on them. They sure are easy to grow. Well, a lot of them are not a lot, but some are close to the base of the plant that I uh-huh. thought, well, I might try to cover it during whatever this next bout it's going to be and see. I don't know how easily they freeze. They look like they freeze pretty easily. And it's because they are very succulent plants, they will freeze very easily. Now, if you had started several weeks ago spraying with liquid seaweed, you build up a little bit of that sugar, which is like a little bit of antifreeze inside. But, you know, who knows? This, uh, the weathermen, if, they're, if their track record of always being wrong stays true, we just have to hope that they're wrong because it stays warmer, not because it gets colder, but uh, pretty easy to try protecting. And if it doesn't work out, then just harvest and dry. Yeah, that's what I thought. Okay, but that was pretty much what I thought. But when I saw how fleshy they were and uh, ju- stuck to the thing, I thought, well, maybe they're nowhere close and it's not worth the effort. But no, I, I think they're close and they're probably not going to fully mature. But in most plants, the seed is ripe and has the ability to germinate uh, a long time before it falls off the plant. In fact, in my Days, years ago, when I was actually growing orchids from seed, we actually harvested the whole seed pod when it was still very green. It was only about halfway to what it would be considered full term, so to speak, for the seed pod to mature. And uh, we did that because it's so much easy to, easier to sterilize the um, the whole pod because, you know, when you're starting orchids from seed, you... You have to be in a very sterile medium, or the fungus will grow much faster than the orchid seed will. And but but the whole point is, we learned that the seeds are actually mature and capable of growing a long time before the seed pod actually splits open and the seed drops. So, uh, um, yeah, I think you'll you'll probably have a fairly high germination rate uh, with your seeds once they've turned color like that. Just leave them on the plants as long as you can, then dry them before you attempt to store them, and uh, you should have plenty to get more of them started. And if all else fails, you can get a whole new packet of seed for a couple of bucks next spring. Or a plant, yeah. <laughs> or a plant. There you go. Yeah. Well, the only weather I listen, uh, well, of course, KTSA, but uh, listen to is Noah. And they said something they're talking about next Tuesday and Wednesday, and they said rain and snow showers. And I thought, what in the world is a snow shower? But we'll, we'll figure that one out later. <laughs> well, it's, uh, I, I think the most honest forecast, and this was for the month of October, but our meteorologist friend up in the hill country, he said, the best forecast I can give you for October is continued drought with the possibility of occasional floods. So <laughs> <laughs> that kind Kind of sums up Texas weather, but uh, I think it's just a wake-up call that everybody needs to have their insulate on hand, need to be prepared. I'm sure we'll probably get a, a substantial freeze in the hill country.
country. San Antonio, maybe, maybe not. But uh, uh, ounce of prevention is worth a whole lot of being sorry you didn't. Well, I have a package of insulate, and I'm going to give my first shot at trying to cover up my lime tree. There you go. This year, and we'll see. What, okay, next plant. Uh, the little polka dot plant, the little mm-hmm. green and pink ones. Yeah. I got some of those when I was at Shades of Green. And I think they're just such a lovely little plant, but I don't know much about them. And I know they wilt really easy, so I was careful about water, and that works well. But I left one out the other night when it got down into the low 40s, mm-hmm. and it didn't seem to be phased. Uh, but they are tropical, are they not? They are tropical. They will actually, now they don't like frost. They don't want to get uh, ice on the leaves. Right. But uh, they'll go down right to freezing. If it gets much below freezing, if it stays much below freezing, they will freeze but boy right down to that 32 degree mark if you can keep the frost off of them uh, and and their botanical name is hypoestis if you ever want to look at it h-y-p-o-e-s-t-i-s i believe is how it's spelled but uh they're amazingly tolerant of uh of the wind and the chill so uh they're they're pretty tough little plants that surprised me so much because they look like such a delicate little thing. <laughs> some things that look tough aren't, and some things that look pretty wimpy it turn out to be pretty tough. And the Hypoestis polka dot is, uh, is one of the ones that makes pretty tough little plant. It's just useful for so many things. And my last question is about a friend gave me a Thanksgiving plant in a pretty little orange pumpkin. And I, I think it's, it, of course, there's nothing to indicate what it is. But anyhow, uh, I think it's a Kalanchoe. It has this maybe three-inch round paddle-like leaves with a little red edging on them. And uh, because there's so many different Kalanchoes, uh, Kalanchoe, that I I think that may be what it is. But I'm not, does that ring any bells with you? Oh, there, like you say, there are so many. And I know it's not correct. I still say Kalancho because that's what everybody says. But there are also a whole bunch of Crassulas, C-R-A-S-S-U-L-A, which are the family that includes the jade plant. And um, they're a bunch of little succulent it's very plants. It's fleshy like that. Right. So it's got to be somewhere in that area. Yeah. So it is definitely going to not be cold hardy. And, of course, it's been, I'm sure, hothouse grown all mm-hmm. along. So I've been bringing it in as it approaches the 40s. Is that probably a... I, it's probably a good thing. It's not going to be hurt unless it actually gets frost on it. So, but it's, it's hardy down to freezing. But these forecasters, uh, uh, when they say 40, then sometimes it gets to 32. So I always try to give about 10 degrees of latitude there because, uh, of course, for those of us in the business, it becomes very expensive when the weathermen make mistakes. But uh, they they would be hardy into the 30s. But uh, the forecast, uh, I'm always going to fudge a little bit. And if it's going to be somewhere near 40, we're going to protect anything that would be hurt by a freeze. Yeah, I think so, too, because they don't tend to change their forecast until about <laughs> two hours before they start dropping it. <laughs> yes, exactly right. And most of us are uh, asleep in bed by that time. Oh, absolutely. Well, thank you, Bob. Thank you so much. And please give all the little four-footed fuzzies a hug and a pet. I will (laughs) most definitely do that. And you and yours have a good weekend, Joyce, and we'll talk to you soon. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. All right. Well, back to gardening, and we get to talk with Bill. Good morning, Bill. Good morning, Dr. Bob. I need to get to San Antonio and buy the nursery. I got a couple of really good ones for you. (laughs) 
<laughs> well, uh, you know how much we always enjoy sharing a little bit of humor. I will tell you the one that I can tell on the air. I wondered if you'd seen the research that uh, dairy cattle, if the farmer talks to them, they seem to give more milk. Did you hear about this? No, I didn't. Oh, it's a case of in one ear and out the other. <laughs> now, with that behind us, how can I help you this morning? <laughs> Chris and I are members of a master naturalist group, and we are in the process of uh, not really eradicating, because you can't, but, but managing uh, invasive plants at a state park up here. Okay. Uh, and, you know, there are different techniques depending on the size of the plant, but uh, mostly Chinese tallows. And uh-huh. we have been, for the, for the larger ones, we've been girdling them. Right. And the process that we've been using is not very efficient. It's taking about five minutes a tree to get them girdled. And, and uh, you know, at that rate, it's going to take us until, you know, 300 years from now. So I went online and I got this wonderful tool from forestry suppliers. It's a tree girdler. Okay. And, and it has gone from, you know, five minutes a tree to less than a minute a tree. Okay. The issue, the issue, though, is that it it cuts a you know a ring mm-hmm. of only about an inch or two, and you know some people in the group are saying that's not enough. It's got to be five to six inches. Right. And if we if we've got to do that, then then this tool isn't very efficient. And second, I don't understand why forestry suppliers is selling it if uh, you know if it's not making a, a large enough cut. Well, you know, they they sell all the way across the United States, and quite frankly, when you get into uh, less tropical climates than ours, an inch is probably big enough on some of the beaches and birches and, you know, those northern-tier trees, whereas with a lot of the things that we have, like your tallows, they grow so darn quickly, then, uh, you know, I would I would rather see a little wider band, but... Uh, um, you know, if you're a big boy, you can handle sharp tools, get a little hand axe and, uh, you know, maybe have one person go around and do that one inch wide girdling. And then it would take a matter of seconds just to move around the tree and just, you know, chop, 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 just split down, uh, strip off another six inches of bark. In fact, uh, I've used, you know, nothing, you know, less than a little hand axe, good and sharp, but man, you can strip a lot of bark in a big hurry uh, off of a tree. And, you know, of course, that's what uh, folks used a couple of hundred years ago. But uh, um, I can't imagine, you know, taking five minutes to girdle a tree. I would say, uh, you know, on average with a good sharp tool, like even a hand axe, uh, it should be more like 30 seconds per tree. Would that make sense? Yeah. Um, well, I think initially the guys that were doing it were, you know, trying to make it look like they were finishing a cabinet or something. They wanted to look at, you know. <laughs> well, that's an issue I don't know how to deal with. But uh, yeah. it's uh, when you're dealing with volunteers, it's it's like I was fussing at the folks, uh, you know, at the great state natural area down the road for me because they were cutting off cedar and it was being cut at an angle and you never ever leave a cedar sump cut at an angle because if your fire department has to get in there and fight a brush fire you don't want to be puncturing those four hundred dollar tires just because you know you didn't cut that cedar off flat and the 
the fellow over there told me, said, well, one of our volunteers, she can't bend over very well, so that's how he likes to cut the trees down. So it's, I, I realize that you sometimes have to deal with, uh, you know, with people that have a little bit different outlook than you do. I'll be polite about that. But uh, it's, uh, um, again, uh, you're, you're trying to get rid of these things. You're, you're not trying to, uh, you know, make them pieces of art. So uh, I <laughs> would just tend to, you know, quick and dirty, I think, beats, you know, trying to, trying to create a piece of art any time in this case. And all you've got to do is, is remove that foam layer for a few inches along the trunk and, uh um again you don't want to cut the tree down and you don't want to abuse it too badly physically because that'll just make it sprout out from below the girdle point but uh man a, a small sharp hand axe sounds to me like what uh, yeah. uh you know and somebody that has little forearm strength to use it that should speed your process up immensely bill yeah okay this is helpful thank you you're certainly welcome uh hug to chris and look forward to seeing you guys sometime soon uh, thank you so much. I think his phone was fading out on us there. All right, let's get back to gardening. And uh looks like we're going to talk to Lonnie, Shirley, James, and somebody else calling in on line number four. Uh, good morning, Lonnie. Yes, good morning, Bob. Good morning, sir. Um, Bob, I have, uh, I'd almost want to call it China Syndrome, weed in my, uh, increasingly <laughs> in the front yard. Tell me about I mean, it. What tap, does it look like? Tap, tap root this thing is unbelievable. And it has a white uh, blossom with a yellow center. Okay. And I think someone told me oxalis is like that. Is, is that what I might have? Most oxalis that you see are going to be pink rather than white. What does the leaf oh. look like? And oxalis looks like a clover-like it's a very, leaf. It's a very low-growing. Um, I don't know about the leaf. Um and and you can you can grab it very easily. It's almost like it's I don't know. It's like something was was just planted uh, in a in a little bit of a flat. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, I don't know. It's difficult. I, I thought perhaps the flower, excuse me, flower would be the uh, the tip off has to identify the thing. Well, t- tell me about the leaves. What does the leaf look like on it? Uh, well, to be perfectly candid, I do not know at this point. Okay. Uh, I, 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 could, I could go outside and look, I guess. But well, tell me this. Is this something that comes back year after year? Is this something that grows and makes a horrible nuisance of itself during the growing season, but then goes away totally in the winter? Yes. It, 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 uh, it makes a terrible nuisance, it's, 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 and it's been growing since uh, spring and it really took off in the in the summer months okay and it's 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 spread it's spread all the front yard and there's some growing in the back now so okay are the leaves at all prickly i mean can would it hurt you if you grabbed it and tried to pull it up or are the leaves relatively smooth no uh, it's uh, relatively exposed it does not uh, hurt uh, or anything it it's 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 like I said, taproot that's just mm-hmm. very woody. Okay, and uh, it seemed to go. Uh, I mean, it's 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 very well anchored, shall we say? Okay, with that taproot. So. And it sounds to me like it may be one of the white dandelion species. Many dandelions are yellow, but uh, there are also some white ones, and they they do have quite a 
taproot. Um, the easiest way, and, you know, of course, once you get a bunch of them, it's a little bit more work, but they, I'm sure you've seen the old-fashioned, what they call dandelion diggers, has little wooden handle. Oh, yes, we, we have dandelions every spring. Okay, well, the, Absolutely. they actually make that same tool with about a three-and-a-half-foot handle on it so you don't have to bend over to use it. And something that has that stout a taproot, many times if you could take something like that uh, dandelion digger and just, you know, poke it down an inch to the ground, sever that taproot, and, uh, you know, then pull and discard the top, you probably would be rid of it. I know these things, if you cut them right at the surface of the ground, they come back. But if you cut them an inch down, then normally that, uh, you know, that, that will kill the blasted things totally. The secret is getting ahead of them and getting it done before they start making flowers and seeds because every one of those plants, I know with some of the thistles, and if it had a prickly leaf, I would guess one of the thistles, but it, you said it's a smoother leaf. But some of those things, they say one plant can make 500,000 seeds. So well, it's a good thing to get ahead of it. But Okay, I'm, I'm, I'm holding a piece of it in my hand right now. Okay. And the... The leaves are so small. It, it, it's God, I don't know. They, the thing is covered with with the flowers as well as the little buds. Okay, I'll do this, Lonnie. Um, take a picture of it, and uh, our uh, nursery email. We don't do a lot of this, but uh, email that picture to organic sog is in shades of green organic sog dot com and. Uh, Put it to my attention, and one of the one of our managers will look at it and see that I get a look at it, and uh, leave me a phone number, and I'll call you back. Because that, you know, just just a white flower there that that doesn't not terribly descriptive. <laughs> well, it's a good start. It eliminates uh, you know sixty percent of the hundred thousand different plants that it could be, but we're still left with ten thousand plants to consider. But uh, it from the taproot, it sounds. More like something in the dandelion family, but, you know, again, there are just so many things out there. But um, I tend to, if it's in a grassy area, I use something like that long-handled dandelion digger. If it's just out in the open, I just use my grubbing hoe and cut it about an inch below ground level, and they typically don't come back. I find a lot of weeds, but um, that's not one of them that I usually see. So let's try to get a little bit better idea of what it is then maybe i can give you a little bit better idea but i will tell you try to get ahead of the flowers because everywhere you have flowers you're going to have seeds and um you know that that can be a real issue now if it's in the lawn i will tell you that a layer of compost thin layer of compost over the area does an awful lot to serve as a pre-emergent and keep those seeds from sprouting next year and that's one thing I've eliminated some real serious weed issues just by putting a you know that half inch layer of compost over the area in the fall, and then I had very few weeds come up in that area the next spring. So that might certainly be something to consider. But um, let's try to go a little further to figure out what it is. Okay, appreciate it, Bob. Thank you much. Well, my pleasure. Thank you, sir. All right, uh, Shirley's next. Good morning, Shirley. Uh, good morning, Bob. Good morning. Uh, I have. Um Two old, old pecan trees. Uh-huh. They were they were planted too deep, and so we have I have a big round well around both of them now, where you can see the roots. Good. And and it's been that way for now 
oh, maybe a couple of years. And, of course, it was so dry, so I filled those wells with water a few times. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I'm real disappointed in the crop of pecans. So I'm wondering, uh, they're old, does that make a difference? No. And uh, no. they still should they still should produce, should they They not? should produce, but, but realize that pecans are wind-pollinated. Um, the okay. pollen floats through the air and literally floats from the tree that's producing both both all pecan trees will have both male parts and female parts so to speak but uh, at the time that the pollen is floating around uh, from one tree to the other if the weather is such that you know we get a lot of rain it literally washes the pollen out of the air and we get very poor pollination literally if the wind's blowing the wrong direction sometimes it can have an influence on pollination and sometimes we'll get a late freeze like we did last year after the little nutlets have actually started to grow but very few people really had a good crop of pecans this past year and you know if you lived in georgia if you lived in arkansas they have pecan groves up there orchards whatever you want to call them but their weather is though even though it may be somewhat wild at least it's a little more consistent in texas it's always going to be a hit and miss where you have a good crop one year and a bag crop the next i know i've got no i don't know 40 50 pecan trees uh, big trees uh, down in one of my fields and i probably have five percent of the pecans i usually have but it's all weather related more than anything and then to complicate the fact even if the pecans start to form if you don't have good moisture in july and august the nut meats don't fill out very well so it's uh like like People say about agriculture is legalized gambling with worse odds, and uh, <laughs> expecting your pecan trees to have a good crop every year just isn't going to happen in Texas most years. So you've done the right thing to get those trees healthy. You've given the trees the potential to produce a really good crop of pecans, but Mother Nature has to make some things happen right at the spring for that to happen. So uh, I don't think it's anything that you've done or failed to do, but um, weather this year just kept, I I can't really say I know anybody in this area that has had very many pecans on their trees. Like I say, mine have about a 20th as many as they usually do, and that's over quite a large number of trees, and it's just all weather-related. And some, I've Quite a few of that I did have fell on the ground before they they were you know the green shells. So and that's uh, because it was so dry in August and early September. We just didn't have the the uh, moisture to fill the nuts out, and uh, you know there was a lot of what they call pecans, pecan scab fungus, where you get that kind of blackish area on the outside on the husk of the pecans bottom line it just was a bad year for pecans but i don't think it's anything that surely did or didn't do i think pretty much across the board the weather just uh wasn't right this time around i guess the good news is that many times if we have a poor crop one year we have a bumper crop the next year so uh we'll hope that the weather's a little bit kinder but you've done everything right you've exposed the roots you've given them the water you could when we were really dry although nothing really replaces that rainfall i would probably put a little fertilizer around them just the same good organic product you're going to put on your grass and uh that will increase your odds for getting a good pecan crop next year but uh <laughs> there are no guarantees when it comes to agriculture in Texas. 
How true. How true. And we have a problem. We used to have a guy off of Austin Highway who would crack our pecans. Uh-huh. He, he's no longer there. He's shut down. And we have not heard of any other place that cracks pecans. Do you know of any? Call, try Pape, P-A-P-E, although I think they actually pronounce it Pape, but Pape's over in Seguin. Uh, They are big, big pecan dealers and shellers. I've been told that there's a place somewhere on the south side of San Antonio, but I'd start by calling Papes. They're on uh, the 123 bypass over on the east side of town, and uh, nice people to do business with. In fact, I think the original Mr. Pape is is still there a good deal. And uh, if they, I think they are still shelling pecans. If not, he can probably tell you somebody who is. Okay, that's wonderful. And then I have a beautiful bougainvillea. Uh I didn't hear how... You, I heard you earlier about talking about freeze. Is it supposed to freeze tonight? <laughs> no, no, possibly Tuesday morning. Oh, okay. And so I'll have to bring that in, won't I? What temperature do you think I need to bring it in at? Well, the problem is that frost can be damaging to bougainvilleas, and frost can occur at 38 degrees. But uh, if, um, you know, if you can simply cover it, uh, it can go down 28 or even 26 as long as it doesn't stay there for a long time. So chances are you could cover with insulate fabric or something like that and get through. But uh, anytime, anytime there's a possibility of frost, uh, your bougainvillea probably needs some protection, either brought inside or be covered. Okay, I will do that. Okay, that's all I can think of this morning. Have a, have a wonderful day. You do the same, Shirley. Always good to talk to you. All right, back to gardening and back to the phone lines. Good morning, James. Morning, Bob. How you doing? Well, I'm doing well, sir. How about yourself? Yeah, we got a little bit of rain, about a half an inch. That's about what uh, we heard of across the area. Unfortunately, they've had a little bit more in onion country, so I don't know about you, but we found out it's going to be another week before those good little onion plants start coming in. So that's the only negative about this week's rain, but uh, they'll be here soon. Yeah, you'll have time to get them planted. <laughs> yes, sir. Uh, did you uh, you guys get your uh, spinach uh, transplanted? or? Yeah, as a matter of fact, I think I put four different varieties in the garden the other day. Man, you got a lot of faith. I, I'm just <laughs> using one variety that I've been using for the last 50 years. And tell us what that one is. Oh, the Bloomsdale Long Standing, right? It's delicious. Oh, and it's um, it's that's you know that that variety I think was around before even we were alive, and uh, oh, yeah. it's just hardly been improved upon. That good old Savoy, that good old crinkly leaf, and uh, you know my my experience. And you tell me what you have seen, but the the flat leaf spinaches produce more at any one yeah. time, but that Bloomsdale just keeps on going and going and going. It's it's always one of my favorite spinaches. It'll uh, it'll go through a Texas winter pretty pretty well and into the spring. Yes, sir. Uh, long enough to well keep you happy. <laughs> yes, sir. Hey, I wanted to tell you I'm having good luck with uh, trapping those raccoons on that uh, all those little marshmallow balls that I've been yeah. using. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's one thing they just can't seem to resist is uh, marshmallows. And uh, you probably do like I do. I'll put the marshmallows on the ground and then set the trap on top of it. And they get in there and start picking around at it. And they catch themselves every time. James, I didn't realize we're so close to news. Let me put you on hold and we'll come back and talk a little bit more after the news right here on KTSA Radio, San Antonio, Texas. All right, let's get back to gardening. We're going to talk to James a little more, and then it's going to be Joe and Robert. And uh, first of all, though, let me talk to you for a moment about my friends at Kinetico. You know, water softener is just a pretty much a necessary piece of equipment for your home anywhere in South Texas, and especially up in the Hill Country. We have so much calcium in our water. just really messes up everything from uh, sinks and toilets to dishwashers and hot water heaters and, of course, anything that uses warm water. Uh, even things like your ice makers can really get messed up over time with, <laughs> with that unsoftened water, so to speak. The question becomes, what kind of water softener are you going to buy? Because you hear probably six ads a day for all these different companies. Every one of them claims that they're the best. i tell you why I like Kinetico is because they are different, because they have a whole different type of water softener than anybody else. And that is water softener that runs on the kinetic energy in water, not on electricity, doesn't have a built-in computer. It only recharges when the rosin needs to be recharged. You'll never run out of soft water because it's a twin tank system. It's just so much easier and so less prone to problems. And, I mean, the prices are great. In fact, they even have try-before-you-buy plans if you like. It's just, it's you know, Brad Messer told me about them many years ago. Sure, Miss Brad. He was uh, just a great person and a great on-air personality. But Brad told me about Kinetico. I made that choice, and I've never looked back. I love my Kinetico. If you're thinking of a water softener, at least check them out. And you can do that by going to KineticoSA.com or giving them a call at 210-656-PURE. That's 210-656-PURE for Kinetico. All right. Well, we were visiting with our friend. Uh, I still love what our friend from Houston calls you, which is Farmer James, because you're the you're the pro that calls to uh, let us know what's going on in your garden and what new things you've learned. And uh, just it's always good to talk to you, James. Hey, we got a new thing. Uh, I got my Christmas present from Johnny's, a big brown box full of cow pots. Uh, Those four-inch cow pots are really nice uh, when it comes to transplanting squash and watermelons. And I take it that it's a a pot that's derived from cow manure. Yeah, uh, it stays pretty well in the the nursery, in the uh, greenhouse. Uh Uh-huh. Then once you put it in the ground, it uh, pretty much uh, dissolves. It makes transplanting uh, watermelon, squash, you know, cantaloupe, mm-hmm. stuff like that, really easy. You can you can get them seeded in the greenhouse and uh, with three seeds, and then thin to one, or thin to two, and then thin to one later. But, do they uh, do they come in more than one size? How large are these uh, are these little plantable pots? Well, we get the four inch, uh-huh. four by four by four, uh, but they come in all kinds of different sizes. Okay. Johnny's got them. It just uh, it makes transplanting a lot quicker when you're putting out, you know, <laughs> rows of uh, of transplants. <laughs> yes, sir. Yes, sir. Well, are real popular. They're a little pricey, but uh, they're a lot of fun. 
Well, it's so much better than those compressed peat moss pots. Uh, I'm sure the cow pots break down a lot faster and don't inhibit the roots. I, I do not like little compressed peat pots, but it uh, sounds like the, the cow pie pots are something that I uh, need to look into. I was not familiar with those, but need to get my Johnny's catalog out and go looking for them. Yeah, one more thing. The uh, Elbon Rye really likes this weather. It's You can oh, almost yeah. watch it grow out there. It's uh, The cover crops are just uh, really coming on with this cool and this rain. Uh so there won't be too many weeds in those beds that we cover crop. Well, or smother crop, as they like to call it up at Rodale. It's, uh, and, of course, that Elbon rye is one that serves as a nematode trap. If you have the benefit of have, or having the problem of any of the root-knot nematodes, the benefit of the Elbon rye is it not only makes a good winter cover crop, builds some organic material, but also uh, tends to really reduce problems with root-knot nematodes. So good thing to be putting out. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. It gives you something green to look at in the winter besides that uh, that good spinach. I got the, <laughs> the DeSico broccoli planted in that same row, uh-huh. and that's the broccoli that uh, you just harvest the little side shoots on. Right, right. That stuff is already 28 inches tall. I mean, it really grows. It's uh, that, that That's a broccoli that, uh, that you guys might want to try. Is this it's S-E-C-O? Uh, yes. Okay. And did you did you get that from Johnny's as well? Yeah. I will. Uh, you know, instead of one big head and yeah. then side shoots, you just get side shoots uh, a plenty on them. They're they're a lot of fun, and they get pretty good size too. Is it kind of like broccoli rob? Have you ever grown broccoli rob? Well, it's a little bit bigger than that. Okay. And it's not as. Uh, it doesn't get as wimpy limpy as as the rob. Okay. Well, I'm making a note of Seco. I will check it out and as always, appreciate you checking in with us. You have a great weekend. Thanks, Bob. Thank you, James. Always appreciate it. <laughs> Goodbye. Bye-bye. All right. Uh top of the board is Joe. Then it will be Robert and Fred. Good morning, Joe. Good morning. Morning, sir. I have a question. Good morning, sir. I have a question. I have a Oak tree, roughly, oh, I'm looking at him right now. He's probably about 15 foot tall, maybe 10, 12 years old. Okay. His top leaves, way on top, about two and a half, maybe three foot, seems like they're dying off. And is this a live oak or a red oak? No, it's a a live oak. Okay. You're looking at drought damage from the summer? Sometimes it takes really? a little time to show up, and you'll see it sometimes at the top of the tree. You'll see sometimes just tips of the branches, and the leaves just turn crispy brown and just hang on. They don't right. fall off. Um, would be good to treat that tree with a little garret juice, a little bit of, uh, you know, any good liquid fertilizer. Mother Nature is giving us moisture, but we really haven't had a really deep soaking rain in some time, so... Uh, I probably, next time it dries out a little bit, I'd probably turn that hose on slowly and let it run for an extended period of time. I don't think your tree is seriously, you know, hurt. I've seen some of this on monster oak trees around my place, but it's just what we always happens when we get uh, three or four months with no good soaking rains, which is what this summer was all about. But as long as the rest of the tree is looking good, I wouldn't be concerned. The tree's going to go on growing. It'll make a little what we call central leader. It will branch out below that point, and a year from now, you'll never even know you had the problem. Gotcha. And so, like some pasture grow would work? Sure. That would be a good thing to do. 
And do check the always check and be sure the root flare is exposed. But uh, all this yeah. sounds like to me is a little bit of the result of a dry summer and uh, not cause for any great concern. Thank you so much. Have a great day. You do the same, Joe. Appreciate the call yeah. this morning. And next up is Robert. Good morning, Robert. Good morning, Bob. Long time, no talk. <laughs> well, if it's been more than 24 hours, it's a long time. It's good to hear your voice. <laughs> and you. And we're getting some nice weather, finally. So, yes. Yeah, I heard you uh, say that uh, marshmallows are a good raccoon uh, trap. Absolutely. Not so much in the rain, but in dry weather. They're, that I don't know what it is, but those raccoons simply cannot resist marshmallows. Well, um, I'm calling on a kind of a related problem. Okay. We have been putting out uh, different kinds of bird feeders, and, of course, different kinds of bird feeders take, you know, um, if you're looking for this bird or that bird, you right. use a different kind of and unfortunately, uh, a lot of that seed gets knocked to the ground, and we've now seen a few uh, fairly good-sized mice out there. Uh-huh. <laughs> Would that be a good um, uh, trap, uh, snap trap bait for rats? You know, I've not tried it on wraps. I tend to use peanut butter. In fact, you can actually uh, uh, mix a little bird seed with the peanut butter, mix a little bit of oats with the peanut butter, and that's what I've have always had the the best results with. It's probably more information than you need. But my summers in the wildlife management area in West Texas, we would walk around literally with just a mouthful of a combination of peanut butter and oats and uh, you know some other clean seed, and you just grab just a little chunk of that, and it's what we baited our our traps with, and with close to a hundred percent success. So I I would tend to go more. Um, uh, for field mice and for really just about all sorts of mice and rats and rodents, uh, peanut butter with little with a little bird seed of some sort mixed in with it, I think is going to be your most effective bait. Uh, you said oats at one point. Is that like oatmeal? Oats? Yeah, yeah, just like oatmeal. Okay, okay. and um, that would be uh, same same would hold true for tree rats. I uh, yes, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, I know what you're talking about. Yes, sir. It seems to work pretty well with them as well. Although those blasted things, they will go after sometimes even meat. I one time had a one in a greenhouse. It was really problematic trying to trying to catch it. I used to chunk a bacon on a rat trap and caught them the first night. Well, I've got one of those squirrelinator traps and peanuts uh, tend to be pretty good but uh, i don't know sometimes i seem to get wise to it so yeah <laughs> it's looking for looking for alternatives and i'll tell you yeah. what i i actually got when i was buying bird seed at one point i got some of those uh dried ears of corn and for whatever reason um you know that dried corn and i just take my thumb and you know brush off 12 or 15 uh, uh kernels of corn at a time and that worked better than any corn that I have purchased, and uh, I don't know, maybe it was less treated or something, but you know what I'm talking about with the ears that they actually put on yeah. a stake and put out there for people that like to see the squirrels and things, but that's one of the main things I've used to bait my uh, traps for squirrels recently with very good success. I think when I declared war on the black uh, mountain rock squirrels this summer, I caught 16 squirrels in a period of a few days using that as a bait, so uh that might be a well, good I'll thing to try. All the swell, but I hate those damn things. 
Well, I love you're the one that told me one time I recommended something to you and said, no, it didn't get him to go in the trap, but it made him stand still long enough that I could get a shot at him. So uh, you're in town now and can't do that, but give give that no. a try if you're having trouble catching them. Okay. Ed, you mentioned something that reminds me uh, about bird seeds. Do you happen to know what is a good bird seed for finches? We still use the uh, thistle seed. It's not. They call it thistle seed. They call it niger seed. It's not really a thistle where it got that name, but uh, that seems to be good for uh, the blackback goldfinch, the American goldfinch, and little house finches as well. It of course, you know, they're they're going to get you one way or another. It pretty much takes a special feeder with those little small openings. Yeah. But I haven't found yeah. anything better than thistle seed for finches. They do love it. Be sure it's fresh, though. That's one thing. And you can even store the seed in the freezer if you buy a very big bag of it and have room in your freezer. But it needs to be fresh. But that's that's the seed that we have had the best luck in bringing all kinds of finches in. Yeah, I wasn't expecting those tiny little holes, but uh, thank you for that tip. I've yeah. got one more quick question if you've got time. Yes, sir. Uh, we have a pretty good-sized oak tree in front of our house, and, and unfortunately it is surrounded by a circular concrete drive. Uh-huh. And um, there's uh, maybe uh, 12 feet by <clears throat> 6 feet um, graveled area mm-hmm. that surrounds the base of the tree. Right. So it, 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 we always give it a lot of uh, supplemental mental watering. Uh-huh. Uh, we've been traveled quite a bit this summer, maybe didn't get to water as much as we'd like. And I've got two lower limbs that have gone dead. Is that is that a... Um, and these are smaller limbs, maybe three, four inches uh, in diameter. That may is that be. A, is that a drought issue? Uh, it may be, or it just may be the top of the tree is so thick it's shading out the lower limbs. Um, I, I, you know, the fact that it's a limb that big may be influenced by drought, but my first suspicion is just it's uh, getting shadier and shadier down in that lower area, and uh, live oaks will just simply eliminate some of the branches that aren't getting enough light to support the leaves, and that's what it sounds more like to me. Well, I'm hoping that it's just kind of natural selection. This this tree, unfortunately, is not that thick because I, it, it just doesn't get the nutrients and water mm-hmm. that it ought to get. We try to supplement as much as we can, sure. but it's a pretty good-sized tree. Well, and be anyway, sure, yeah. as far as possible, be sure that root flare is exposed. And, um, it is, yeah. yeah then I, uh, it's probably probably drought-related, but normally when I see something I definitely say is drought, it's going to be smaller little limbs that are maybe, you know, the thickness of your thumb. Uh, that raises another question the circular drive is plenty big enough for a truck in other words it's uh, maybe 10 10 feet or 12 feet across mm-hmm. well those roots get out past the edges of that into the neighbor's yards where there's uh, you know better better moisture and almost certainly hopefully. yes almost certainly they will great well well past the canopy then. yes sir yeah great. about 50 percent beyond the canopy is what they say Bob, wonderful to talk to you, and if you're in Austin, uh, our feelings will be hurt if you don't come by. (laughs) I haven't been to Austin, Robert, in quite some time, and uh, when I get ready to brave the traffic, you'll be the first to know. We would we would love to see you. Give all the give Levon a pet for me and a hug to Susie, and I'll look forward to our next visit. Thank you. Same to your critters. Thank you. (laughs) Bye. Bye bye.
All right, it's going to be Fidel and Fred and Mary. And oh, by the way, I should mention, too, that this is the night for uh, the Sisterdale Volunteer Fire Department. Uh, their big hunter's extravaganza up there. Always a great event. Uh, lots of good food. Incredible raffle. You just won't believe uh, what all they have there. Anyway, it's always a fun evening, and uh, it's tonight up in Sisterdale. And uh, sure hope we'll see you up there. Right now, it's uh, Good Morning, Fidel. Hi, Bob. Thank you very much. Uh, just an announcement. Uh, today is uh, our big Veterans Day event here in Bandera. Oh, very good. We want, to, we want to invite all the general public. The program starts at 10 in the morning. Uh, then there is a parade during noon, and then there's a meal after that for veterans and their families on the courthouse lawn. Oh. So we want to invite everybody, not only from Bandera, but the surrounding area, to go ahead and join us to celebrate this uh patriotic day that we are celebrating in bandera well you guys are living right because it looks like you're going to have a beautiful day for it sandwiched right in between the rainy weather and the cold weather so what a beautiful day for everybody to get up to bandera and say hello thanks again and we invite everybody to join us starting at 10 this morning and the events go on pretty much uh, from 10 on through the afternoon the meal is at noon or is it an evening meal uh, no, it's after the parade, which uh, the parade starts at 12. Okay. For short thereafter. Sounds good. Well, Fidel, thanks for letting us know. Okay, again, thanks. Everybody have a good day. You thanks. do the same, and a happy Veterans Day. All right, next up is Fred. Good morning, Fred. Hey, Bob. You're doing very well, thank you. How about yourself? I'm doing fine, thank you. i got a couple of questions. One, uh, I'm the one that had them 70-plus uh, sago seeds that I planted. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And 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 I've got twenty of them that's came up now. Okay. So you know I'm just I'm just having some fun with those, but um, <laughs> do, are those things? Yeah. So yeah, my wife thinks I'm half crazy by keeping them, but I said ah, you know I'll give some away to people here and there. But um, do I need to the ones that are growing? Do I need to transplant them into a bigger one? I just have them in a little oh like a, maybe a, a three by three or three by four uh, little bucket, you know. Uh, I I would probably I would transplant them next spring because as you know with sagos they do all their growing in a very short period of time and then they sit there for a year and they start growing again so you're going to get this first little growth spurt you're going to probably have two or three maximum maybe a four fronds come out on each one and then once those fronds harden off you're not going to see much growth of any sort uh until you know late spring or summer so when it's convenient for you over the winter months i would go ahead and uh and move them into maybe a one gallon container but let those new little developing fronds let them harden off don't don't transplant don't you know run the risk of disturbing the roots while they're still in a real soft stage but you know from your big plant how the how the the fronds will harden off once they have hardened off with this first bunch of growth then that's the time i'd think about moving them into the next pot size up sounds good uh, how, how, uh... your phone's cutting in and out on you there um say that again Fred, I'm afraid we're just we're just not getting you. Uh, you can call me back when you get to better zone if you like. Um, uh, okay, let's try that now. Sounds like I've got a little better. Okay, here you look. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm sorry, I'm in and out. I called you last week on Highway right. 16. I'm there again, and, and we <laughs> broke up. But yeah, so I'll try to make it quick. 
do, do, are those things uh, cold tolerant, or should I bring them in? You know, during these colder uh, days. Cold tolerant down to maybe twenty eight degrees or so. Um, but I, it would be good to bring them in if you can. And even though you've got what, maybe 40% of the seed germinated, realize that some of that seed can sit there for a year before it germinates. So your, your ones that have not germinated, keep those warm for sure. But your little ones that are up and growing, uh, um, light freeze, not going to bother them, but in that size pot, it's pretty easy to bring them in. But the ones that haven't sprouted yet, I very definitely would get inside. Okay. And, and because I'm selling that on this Highway 16, uh, real quick, I, I got a, a coral bean from you uh-huh. uh, early spring last year. Right. And I tell you what, we love it. And this thing is, is way bigger than we expected. It's probably over six foot tall and eight foot wide right now. Yes, sir. Um, and, which is fine. I mean, we really like it. Um, now, does, I've read and heard a few things about Do those things die back or do you cut them back like roses or... You know what's the process on that? If it gets if it gets much below freezing, they will freeze back. Um, for years, we had one just growing in one of my fields up outside of uh, where we had a big greenhouse, and it would freeze down every winter. And by you know late spring, it was back up six or seven feet tall. So uh, expect it to freeze down unless you protect it. But uh, I wouldn't cut it back unless or until it freezes. If you go down Goose Island, I mean, if you've ever been down to see the big oak tree down there or ever fished out of Goose Island down in that area, you know, they're practically a ground cover down there, and they rarely freeze back at all. But up here, um, yeah, they're going to freeze back most winters. But uh, in the ground, they always come back in a pot. I protect it from a real hard freeze. Okay. You know, and and the one other thing on that that, uh, coral bean, you know, like the, some of the leaves are, or some of the branches are going like left and right. Yeah. Can you can you train them to go north and south, or is that just the norm for that for that uh, plant? <laughs> it's just a bushy plant that's going to grow every direction. You can train okay. them. You can prune off the ones that are going the wrong directions for you to encourage them. But uh, ours always has come back as a multi-trunked more of a shrub than a tree now for years they had some down uh uh before it kind of fell on hard times and then got revived down at sunken gardens down uh, near brackenridge park uh they had some down there there were trees that were 20 22 feet tall down there but for the most part unless you're in a real protected environment they're going to freeze down and just make a full bushy plant so just train them by pruning them if you need to so so to be safe should i just let it you know like die down and then just cut off the dead the dead branches or now it, it's actually planted in the ground it's not in a pot it's in the ground yes sir. okay yeah i would just mulch it fairly heavily when and if it freezes who knows it may not freeze this winter but when and if it freezes that would be the time to cut it back okay very good sir thank you you have a good day you do the same fred thank you sir and goodbye Bye now. all right let's get back to gardening it's gonna be uh let me get this in order it's gonna be mary and joyce and david good morning mary Good morning. Hi. Good morning. How are you today? I'm doing fine. Thank Good. you. Uh, I recently received some roses that someone had given me from Sam's Club. And are they able to be propagated or cuttings from them? Uh, now, these were cut roses or these were growing plants that you'd like they're, to make? They're cut roses from the, yeah, just. They're about 18 inches to two feet tall. You know, you could try, but 
generally speaking, you see when the when the rose actually forms the bud on the end, that's fairly soft wood. That's immature wood, and it doesn't root well at all. That's why when we're taking cuttings of roses, we always you know try to get them after the bloom. We try to get them when the wood is fully mature. Um, if you want to try, you could cut some of those stems into sections maybe four or five inches long. The bottom part of the stem actually has the best chance of rooting, not that real tender tissue up toward the top. But if you want to take some four or five inch pieces and soak them in some liquid seaweed or some garret juice or something like that for 30 minutes or so, and then root them in perlite, you're not going to have a very high percentage, but you know, if you do 15 or 20 cuttings, you might have a couple of them root. And if these have some special yeah. sentimental value, it, it would certainly be worth a try. But um, it's, uh, it's, it's a little tough to do. And here's the other thing about cut roses. Years ago, they grew a lot of uh, cut roses in Indi- uh, Indiana. They grew a whole lot of them in Colorado. Denver Wholesale Florist up there used to be one of the biggest rose growers in the country. But most of our cut roses these days come out of Central America or Southern Mexico. Most of them are grown at higher altitudes. And a lot of times, even if you are able to root the cuttings and get more plants started, they are not necessarily going to do real well in our South Texas climate. But again, it's fun to try. But just don't blame yourself if it doesn't work out as well as you would like it to, because mm-hmm. it's it's hard to get them to root. And once you get them to root, uh, they are not always varieties that will take a Texas summer. But uh, you know, nothing. It's it's always fun to try, but just don't blame yourself if you have difficulty with it because you're taking on a real tough task. Well, right where the leaves come out, they've actually started growing. I know it's not roots, right? But uh, but it's extra leaves, and they're just you know they're really lush looking, mm-hmm. and uh, and that would lead me to another question because I really do like yellow roses. But uh-huh. It's been hard. It's hard to find some that are, you know, good quality to, to cut for, right. you know, for cutting roses. Uh huh. And uh, would you have any to recommend? Well, you know, the problem with so many yellows is that uh, they they tend to not have very good color in the summer months. As far as a rose that has, that pretty much is sort of a butterscotch yellow, but there's a variety called Julia Child that uh, is my favorite for a bush rose now it's not going to be a super long stem rose but you know it yeah. they hold up in water very well and it is by far the the best yellow rose that i know of for the summer months now cooler times of the year there is a variety called nacogdoches just like the town in east texas okay uh, nacogdoches okay. is a beautiful yellow and i think that's probably the same rose some people tell you it's different uh, but one that's called grandma's yellow and spring and fall, those are beautiful, big. They'll make a pretty long stem rose. But middle of the summer, I've not found any of them that hold their color as well as Julia Child does. Yes. Okay. And, and just one more quick question. Yeah. I've got uh, several mesquite trees in my yard, really big old ones, and there's so much mistletoe in them. Uh-huh. Uh, will that harm the trees? It indicates that the trees are a little stressed. 
but they've there have been trees documented that have lived uh, more than a hundred years with mistletoe in them. Now, Howard Garrett has found that uh, by simply, you know, so many times the root flare, the base of these trees uh, gets covered up, and he has had a number of trees where just by exposing the root flare, the mistletoe suddenly dies off, and so it would be a good thing health-wise for the trees to be sure that that root flare gets exposed and that probably would eliminate the mistletoe but there's no way you're gonna you know remove it artificially it'll just grow back over and over and over again until the tree becomes so strong that the mistletoe just dies out but uh uh, don't worry about it uh it's uh, the mistletoe is not going to harm your trees but having that root flare buried over time will weaken those trees so that would be a good thing to work on but don't you know don't worry about taking uh trying to knock the mistletoe out of the tree unless you just want a big clump to hang right. up over your door and hope somebody will kiss you on the way in uh-huh. <laughs> which is yeah. never a bad thing no no uh, um yeah these trees are close to 100 years old yeah well, again, the mistletoe is just a sign that they're a little stressed, and the most common cause of stress out there uh, is having that, that root flare buried or having the soil really compacted. Anything you can do to expose the root flare, make the soil a little bit better around them, uh, the mistletoe will tend to perhaps completely disappear. Is there any uh, places interested in buying any mistletoe? Um, um, you know, the one person you could call that might, um, uh, you could call somebody like Pat down at Travis Wholesale. I don't know. Uh, I've seen mistletoe down there and I'm not sure whether it's things that he's just such a nice guy. People sometimes just bring him the things and give him, but, uh, okay. um, yeah. that he would be one person you could call. But uh, beyond that, maybe your local florist, anybody you do business with, because they use it. You know, it is uh, the berries are poisonous on it. It's something you oh, want to yes, be, yes. Uh, you don't want to be having around pets or kids or things like that. Right. But uh, interesting stuff. Yes, sir. Well, thank you so much for your help. Always a pleasure, Mary. Thank you for the call this morning. All right. Well, let's get back to gardening here. And Joyce is up first. Good morning, Joyce. Hi, Bob. Hi there. Uh, when Farmer James started talking about the DeSecco broccoli, uh-huh. I bought a couple of packages, and I mailed one to you at the nursery, but apparently it didn't get to you. Well, and, uh, I will have to have a little talk with somebody, or I will admit well, it might be buried on my desk, but I will go look for it because I certainly haven't seen it, but I will go looking for it for sure. I, it's been a couple of weeks, so I bet okay. you'll find I have some more. I was going to mail you another package today, so <laughs> unless the postal department threw it away because the envelope rattled or something. Well, you never know about that, but uh, no, I sure haven't seen it in the past couple of weeks. But well, uh, I'm going to stick one in the mail to you today. Oh, you're very kind. We very hope kind. get to you, and that, that's all I wanted. <laughs> well, you're always so thoughtful and uh you know my animals and i both love you joyce so you guys have just a uh, wonderful weekend and a happy veterans day well, hope you'll have a good see it says it's an air by the way you may even have it on your shelf don't you have botanical interests yes well that's what it is it's a okay well anyway I'll, i have a couple because i'm going to stick one in the mail to you and we'll see what happens so very good well, i'll look for it i haven't seen it I've, I've just planted some broccoli rob from botanical interest but uh 
Uh, somebody may have just bought it all before I got to it, but we'll definitely <laughs> look forward to seeing you, Joyce. We'll see how it goes. Thank you, Bob. You're welcome. Thank Bye-bye. you. Bye. All right. David's turn. Good morning, David. David, are you there? Let's do this. Let's put David on hold and then bring David up once again. Good morning, David. Okay, I'm not sure what's going on. Perhaps uh, Don and I both have everything all set here, so check and be sure you didn't hit the uh, mute button on your phone. I'm going to put you back on hold for a second and let you let Don check and see if you are there indeed. And um, let me remind you once again uh, a couple of things. Uh, first of all, uh, our fun seminar today at Shades of Green. I'll tell you about the next three. We actually wrap up with uh, three seminars uh, the next three Saturdays today is everything about house plants. If you want to know what grows in bright areas, if you want to grow, know what grows in your lower light areas. Now, no house plants grow in absolute dark, but you know what you can do if you've got a really low light area? Get one of the plants that needs less light, but get two of them. Leave one of them in the bright area, one of them in the dark area, and just switch them every couple of weeks and uh, or once a week, and they'll say pretty long time. That's the kind of thing Heather's going to tell you about today, and she's going to tell you which plants will grow with the more limited light and which ones really prefer brighter light. Anyway, it's going to be a great seminar. Everything about choosing house plants carefully and properly and then growing them well. I mean, I want to hear that that plant got too big for your home, but Heather's going to do that seminar 945, absolutely free of charge. Coffee will be on by nine and, uh, it's just uh, if you're interested in doing well with plants inside your home, this is sort of a must-attend seminar. Plus, the seminar is nice and warm. It's going to be a beautiful day to get out. And if you want to see some of the prettiest cyclamen, some of the prettiest pansies, if you just want to see a gorgeous nursery, come on over this morning for the seminar and uh, enjoy looking around while you're there. Also, as I mentioned, uh, the uh, good folks up at Sisterdale, the volunteer fire department up there, does the Big Hunters Extravaganza, always the second Saturday of November. And uh, that just happens to be this evening. And um, I don't know, it's just uh, it's a lot of fun. I, uh, they just do a lot of different things, raffle, good food. I I think they have a dance afterwards. I never stay up that late, but uh, would love to see you up there as well. And um, let me see here. We probably have time for one more call if anybody wants to get in before we get to the 8 o'clock hour. We'll also remind you that this is a good time to stock up on the insulate fabric. And uh, because we are looking at probably our coldest weather of the year, which is going to be coming up uh, Tuesday morning, maybe again on Wednesday morning. Up in the Hill Country, pretty sure we'll have a pretty hard freeze. Here in San Antonio, though, it probably is going to get cold enough that it would really help to... uh, uh, to be able to protect things. So be sure you have what you need in the way of insulate. Be sure that you water things. I mean, we've had a lot of drizzly rain, but no really good soaking rains. So uh, be sure that everything is well watered before um, the uh, Tuesday morning freeze. Be sure you get things well watered on on uh, Sunday, Monday, so that you'll suffer or you have less damage uh, from any freeze that we may get. And remember, too, as I was just telling you, this would be a great time to put a layer of compost uh out over your turf grass areas and uh let's take one more call here and that would be sean good morning sean hey good morning bob good morning sir shortest wait you've ever had (laughs) yes sir indeed so hey i on this place we bought out here in lavernia gonna have to trim a bunch of the lower branches on a lot of these oak trees this winter okay um getting close to that time but 
there's several of the trees with what I guess is Mustang grape growing in them. Uh-huh. Uh, I, I don't necessarily have any affinity for it, but I don't necessarily dislike it either. I just don't know anything about it. Is it do, do I annihilate that stuff, or do I... what? Tell me what to do with it. Well, with the with the Mustang grapes, they can get so thick uh, that, you know, I've never seen them get thick enough to really kill a tree, but anything that totally shades out the light from the branches, you know, you'll have some dieback on those limbs. I like Mustang grapes. I would suggest that you think about thinning them out a bit this winter while the leaves are off of the grapevines. Um, and you know, the, the grapes are popular with wildlife. I grew up picking them and my grandfather used to, uh, make some wonderful jellies and even grape juice out of them. They're tart. Uh, they do make, although he was not a winemaker, uh, I will tell you, Mustang grapes make a pretty excellent wine if you ever want to give that a try as well. So, um, it's up to you. Uh, they are not benefiting the trees in any way, but unless they get just super, super thick, they're not really going to damage your trees. I probably would thin the vines out a little bit, but I, I certainly would remove them. I, I enjoy having them growing around in my trees. And remember, too, on those lower limbs you're taking out, uh, if the limb is of any size, make the first cut a foot or so out from the trunk to take the weight off the branch, and then make that second cut right up just outside the branch collar and then seal that with, you know, latex paint or pruning paint or whatever you have handy. Okay. All right. Yep, and I just I, I wanted to make sure that I wasn't going to more or less harm the ecosystem uh, drastically by annihilating those grapes. But no. Some of them, the, the bases are probably, you know, some of those bases on those grapes might be eight inches across. Oh, wow. Those are monstrous vines. And obviously they've been growing on those trees for a lot of years, and the trees are still good and healthy. So I wouldn't eliminate them. If you want to thin them out a little bit, you can. But uh, believe me, there are plenty of birds love the grapes. Uh, a lot of different small mammals and things love the grapes. And if you if you have an interest in doing anything with the grapes and the juice you derive from them, uh, they're really quite tasty. They're just not a table grape. They're way too sour just to pick and eat. But uh, I can tell you from a, from a childhood spent spending every summer with my grandparents, we sure did enjoy all the all the things my grandfather did with them. Okay. All right, Bob. Well, thank you, sir. Again, appreciate your show, and have a great weekend. Well, as you know, if you've listened for any length of time, uh, we spend the next few minutes visiting with the Dirt Doctor, Mr. Howard Garrett, from up in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. Best website on the Internet at DirtDoctor.com. And just an all-around good guy. What's going on this morning, Howard? Well, I'm just looking out this pretty weather. Don and I were just talking about playing golf. I'm not going to be doing that today, <laughs> but I'm going to be working a whole lot, <laughs> trying to catch up on some things. Well, if you're like we are, we're going to have a really nice weekend, and then they're even saying things like freezing rain and all for the hill country on Monday night. So, yeah, it's just typical Texas this time of year. A few really nice days sandwiched in between some days that you get to stay inside and work on your art or work in the greenhouse or try to get caught up on all that housework that always seems to get put off. I found a sack of garlic that I didn't remember that I had that's uh, from my crop uh it's all uh, rather than uh, bulbs with cloves it's round uh-huh. and the corms i'm gonna put the corms in with the uh, texas organic research center so people can get some starts of that but i'm gonna plant the 
rounds in a in another area. I've got plenty in the vegetable garden, so I'm going to get another area of the garlic going, so we have a little bit more of a base uh, long term. Well, you've got you've got such a good situation. You've got room at the office in the sun to grow all sorts of things, and then a beautiful shady landscape around your home. It's just. Uh, it's just never big enough. You know, you've got room enough to grow things, but uh, they're just always something else, something different to plant. Yep, yep. But, it, yeah, pretty weather really is. We get, we have a little bit of fall color starting to show, which is nice. The leaves starting to go on the ground. So we're, you know, into, like we talked last week, into trying to get people to uh, manage the leaves properly. And we're finally going to have a little uh, art show coming up here in a few weeks. I've been getting trying to get ready for that a little bit well it's just it just always so much to do and just again great thing you do to support the torque texas organic research center and um and plus your arts just just fun stuff uh did you have a chance did the email i sent you yesterday with that article from makers usa make it through to you it did i haven't had time to read it yet that's one of the many things I'm behind on. Well, I I know the feeling, but it was very eye-opening to me. You know, I've always had an appreciation of humates and humic acid and things like that, but uh, uh, this, it goes a little bit more into exactly how humates work, and they apparently interact a great deal with mycorrhizal fungi in the soil, and... Um, it's just I I have been guilty occasionally of talking about humus uh, just in general with organic material, and it points out that humus is actually a totally different material than compost or lots of other things that we just call organic material. And I didn't realize, and uh, we'll talk when you've had a chance to look at it and uh, see if you agree or disagree with some of the things, but did not realize that uh, humate is one of those things that has potentially a very long life in the soil and uh just made me think i need to start recommending humate more as uh one of those uh bed amendments one of those soil amendments that we use where we're where we're really trying to improve the quality of the soil so i'll be very interested in getting your take on it when you have time to look at it yeah humate's kind of a generic term it may be what you're talking about there may be one of the reasons why the commercial versions of garret juice work so well because yep. rather than compost tea those actually have liquid humate uh-huh. in them and that's because of the you know that it's more consistent than compost tea compost tea is good no matter how it comes out but it varies you know a whole lot in quality depending depend on how it was done how long it was done all mm-hmm. that kind of thing so the liquid liquid humates ended up being in the commercial products but yeah, I think that, um, and they're they're variable uh, as well. Right. You know, there's a lot of of uh, quality differences, a lot of humic acid uh, level difference in them, and all that kind of thing. So. And remind me when you pass through town this month to be sure and give you uh, Stuart Frankie over at Medina uh, has micronized some uh, humate for us to experiment with. It's uh, oh, very very fine. I've got. Uh, Oh, I think, you know, half a dozen bottles to share with you uh, of the dry, very, very finely powdered humate that uh, I just can't wait to start doing some experiments with. But uh, um, anyway, the uh, some of these articles, and, and for the most part, I, 
I have a great deal of respect for what Acres USA does. I think most of their stuff is well-researched and uh, haven't found a whole lot that I think either one of us would disagree with. So anyway, we'll talk about that in the next week or two, but I think it's an article that you uh, very definitely uh, will enjoy. Yeah, I look forward to that. Does uh, does uh, Stuart think he's going to be able to micronize that stuff at a at a pretty affordable price, or have y'all gotten to the? I haven't gotten to that point yet. That. Yeah, I think he's waiting for us to see what all we can do with it, see what application it has, okay, and cool. uh, uh, but boy, it's it's beautiful material, just super super fine powder, which means it's got tremendous surface area and will start delivering benefits. Uh, uh, almost immediately and of course you know he's had more experience by far than i have in bioremediation because they've done so much work in old oil fields and you know some toxic chemical spills so i've got to get with him when we both have time to sit and talk and ask him a little bit about the actual mode of action we know we know a fair amount about how the finely powdered carbon will work but he seems to think that the humate will give us some uh some help in detoxing as well as just uh, plant general plant health as well. So it's just always so much fun to try something new and different and find something new on the market that has uh, good potential for taking care of problems. Yeah, look forward to that. Look forward to getting together and all that stuff. Well, anything special other than getting the garlic going? Uh, if, uh, we're we're delayed on onions this year. The folks that produce most of the onion plants have had some wet weather, and I just can't wait to get onions in the ground. I, it's, uh, onions are just, a lot of people tell me they're one of the best things I grow, and so it looks like it's going to be about two weeks before we start having them available in the nurseries down here. But, man, there's so many things to plant out there uh, this time of year between all the root crops and all the coal family plants and uh, got some spinach in the ground this week and it's just it's just a fun time of year well i was going to ask you about the onions uh, we normally recommend planting them in the uh in february mm-hmm. but y'all plant them earlier uh down there huh? do two crops um i always try to plant some in october november and then plant more of them in february because uh okay. yeah it, it and you know i the Onions are just so good in so many ways. Uh, ones that we plant in November, I end up pulling a lot of them for green onions and sometimes just use little small onions. And I just, I love green onions, whether you're grilling them or using them in various things. And holiday cooking, it's just always fun to be able to go pull a few from the garden. I have to say that so often the ones that I plant in the fall bolt uh, and, you know, don't really make it all the way to summertime and don't give those great big bulbs. But, uh, um, I, I always try to plant two crops, plant some in the fall and some more in the spring. Yeah, that's probably a good plan. I've got something interesting going on in the gardens at the at the office. There I have this horrible weed problem with the uh, Carolina snail seed, which was there when we bought the, mm-hmm. bought the place. In fact, it's just covering big areas of the vegetable garden that I haven't been taking care of very well. I was going to work on that some today as matter of fact too but one thing i've been doing is keeping it cut back and cut back from getting any size on it and like we've talked before sometimes you can spray the new little uh foliage as it first uh, starts to grow with the organic herbicides and get a little bit of uh, control there but i noticed uh some mushrooms in the backyard in the turf uh starting a couple weeks ago now there's quite a few kind of scattered all around, and they're the kind that would indicate that there's something decaying in the ground. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that what might be going on is that I'm starting 
to create um, a condition in that plant where it's starting to die out in the ground. There's there's some big woody stems, underground oh. stems of that stuff. Uh-huh. And I think keeping the, the top cut back and really being consistent and continuing to work on it, it's probably causing uh, some of that stuff to start losing enough of its stored energy to die out, and that's probably what's causing that fungus uh, to grow the mushrooms to show up is uh, some of that woody growth of the Carolina snail seed dying out. Well, that would be a good thing. I hope that's what it is. <laughs> it sounds like a logical explanation to me. Um, one thing I had two or three people ask about, uh, have had, uh, in trying to kill nutsedge, we've always recommended the molasses either liquid or dry, but I've had two or three people that have done it right as far as what we normally recommend and just have not succeeded in eliminating it. Do you have any other additional thoughts or suggestions on eliminating nutsedge? Well, the, um, the thing that seems to help the most, uh, in addition to the molasses, is to is to uh, use hydrogen peroxide and drench it in the area. That, you know, that's what we recommend uh, for a couple of things. When oh, we're doing the yeah. sick tree treatment, and people don't want to do mechanical aeration sure. and, uh, and all that, drenching with hydrogen peroxide, you know, more the better. Where you've got a contamination of uh, nutsedge that. Uh, the nutsedge doesn't like, you know, oxygenated, right. you know, aerobic uh, soil. It likes just the opposite of that. Yeah. So doing it first and then continuing with the uh, molasses is the way to go. I saw something the other day. The last time I was playing golf, I was noticing the edge of some of the greens, uh, just nutsedge all over the place. And I know that they use, uh, you know, the chemical yeah. products there on a regular basis. And it it ain't killing the nutsedge. You know, oh. it's just kind of like kind of like the Carolina snail seed. It's in that category, just being really really hard to control. So you just have to be patient. But I think adding the hydrogen peroxide to the molasses would would definitely help them. Get them to try that, and let's see if that 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 would correct. that would be a really that would make perfect sense because, like you say, that's uh, the nutsedge thrives in an anaerobic condition and. Hydrogen peroxide, just in addition, I don't know all the different ways that it works, but uh, one thing it does for sure is uh, putting a lot more oxygen in the area. So, yeah, we've uh, we've actually got one little area at the nursery that it seems to keep sprouting back up in. So uh, um, that'll happen before the weekend's over. <laughs> Sounds like I'll make a stop by the grocery store on the way back to the to the nursery, and we'll we'll stock up on that. And just would you put it on straight, or would you uh, mix it fifty fifty or so with water? Well, I think for the molasses, you might be able to do it full strength. It'd probably be good for us to try both ways. Mm-hmm. I've recommended it to people. I've never actually really done it myself, other than the fifty fifty. So yeah. doing the strong stuff. Uh, I mean, you know, full strength, it might be a little damaging to the whatever's growing there that you want to have. Sure. But it would be worth trying. The other the, the other tip on that, the, the distribution company, I don't know if you're working with them down there or not, but called uh, Horizon, it's a big distribution company across the uh, country. They're the ones that we've been working with on the Pure Grow product. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I bring it up because they sell a 28% vinegar, 
and they sell it, I mean uh, 28% hydrogen peroxide, and they sell it as part of their pool chemical uh-huh. uh, supplies. And if you go that route, you can use like an ounce. You have to be careful handling sure. it. Sure, But uh, you can use like an ounce per gallon of it, and it's pretty reasonably uh, priced. When you buy the 25 to 30% hydrogen peroxide mail order, which a lot of people have to do because very few people uh, right. stock it, right. it's expensive because it's a, a dangerous uh, chemical sure. you know, to Sure. Sending around in the mail. Well, we're, you know, Water Garden Gems that we just love, uh, they're actually starting to stock some of the stronger hydrogen peroxide, too. Oh, so, in fact, they may be getting it through Horizon. I've got to ask Shane, you know, what their source is at some point. But, yeah, San Antonio is just a lot of the big distributors and all just don't take San Antonio seriously, just like music and so many other things. Dallas is just a, a much, a much bigger and, in their view, better market. I think they're missing out on what a strong organic uh, demand we have down here, both for food and for organic products for the landscape. But uh, you you guys seem to have first shot at a lot of things before it makes it down here. But uh, I'll get my water garden gems if I... Um, oh, we'll start with the grocery store variety, but if we anybody's got a big area to do, I'll, I'll certainly get with them out there and see if we can get a little bit stronger stuff. But that sounds like a like a real good plan for working against it. And uh, you're not going to do, I, I guess, temporarily, you'll set back some of your microbial life in the soil. But that's one thing that recovers so quickly just with a little bit of compost or um, when, when bacteria, good bacteria, have a generation time of like fourteen minutes, you you can restore the the uh, microbial life to an area, even if the hydrogen peroxide sets it back a little bit. Yeah, I usually recommend only doing it once because uh-huh. of what you were just saying, and I usually recommend the fifty percent the grocery store stuff. And by the way, a, a tip on that: if you go to the big uh, box stores, that is one of the uh, advantages of going that route there because you can buy it in cases. Oh yeah, like, like eighty cents a, a quart. Yeah, like yeah. Well, and it's just uh, so so good for so many things. And uh, have had uh, have started seeing a little bit this year for the first time. A little bit of uh, rose rosette down here, and that's certainly what we've been recommending to people to use after trimming out the most severely affected portion. Uh, what what's the status of rose rosette in Dallas? Have you all limited it? Well, and it, it's still around, and and uh, you know the A and M. People and related people are still telling people to rip everything out and throw it away and don't plant any more roses, which is (laughs) kind of weird. But one thing that we have discovered, you can't, hydrogen peroxide by itself is not the solution. It's the whole sick tree treatment. Right. And and we've had people uh, tell us that they've done it and it's made remarkable recovery and then it's come back Mm -hmm. and they've had to use it more than than once, but most people tell us if they do the full uh, sick tree treatment that it totally is uh, taken care of. Well, it's just you're never going to go wrong with the sick tree treatment, even if a plant isn't sick. That's just kind of extremely good. Um, just soil building is what basically the right. sick tree treatment is, so you're never going to go wrong with that. Yeah, it's just a beefed up version of the basic program is all it is, but the, uh, I don't think there's any disease or insect problem or parasite that you can't, if you get it early enough, that you can't uh, f- fix, mm-hmm. treat, 
take care of with the secretary treatment. We've had a, one of the residential projects I consult with. The owner sent me a photograph a couple of days ago of the base, and there were little white conks growing, you know, and, mm-hmm. and they were growing on both sides of this tree. It was like a 30-inch American elm. Wow. And they asked me what to do, and, you know, I had to tell them the truth. And they said, you know, you've got rot all the way through the trunk when those conks, those tree ears are showing right. like that. And you look up at about 15 feet, it was, uh, you know, a co-dominant branch, branching of the trunks that mm-hmm. they didn't take care of years ago. There was a big cable way up in the tree. But through the winds and the storms and everything, probably what happened is it moved the tree enough to break the protective barriers. There's a big cavity yeah, yeah. in the uh, joint. And uh, that situation it just showed so perfectly how important removing co-dominant branching in yeah. is early in the life of a tree because, man, can it uh, create some problems. And I don't... I, this one, I think, has gone so far. I told them that probably uh, it's not going to make it. I, you, if you want to try, we can take off one side of it, you know, the smallest of the co-dominant branches, sure. and do the sick tree treatment and see if we can get uh, you know, several more years out of it. But it's when you see those tree ears growing 360 degrees around the bottom, that means that the, it's full of rot. It's basically girdled itself, yeah. Well, and the thing, too, that uh, uh, we probably ought to talk more about, in fact, Roberta and I were talking about doing a, a, something in our, our January newsletter in just landscaping mistakes, people think, things people do thinking it's the right thing when it's totally the wrong thing. And those tree cavities are one of the real good examples. You hear about people wanting to drill a hole so that they'll drain and uh what we've learned about it is that the tree's already taking care of it. It's already walled this off. Trees have amazing capacity to wall off problem areas. And unless you get more damage through, like you're describing, a tree moving in the wind or somebody foolishly going in and trying to clean it out and drill holes through it to make it drain, you're just introducing the problem through more of the tree and creating many more problems long term than you're ever going to solve. Oh, absolutely. Putting foam in it, putting concrete in it, all of those things are, are bad to do. And in this case, it was caused by co-dominant branching. Right. But the most common cause of a cavity in a tree that uh, a lot of people probably already know is flush cuts. Mm-hmm. You know, not leaving the the, uh, the, uh, the collar, the branch yep. collar. And when you, when you it's amazing. When you do a flush cut, how quickly... The rot can, the uh, decay can start top and bottom because you've cut, you've cut into the trunk. You know, yeah. when you, when you yeah. don't preserve the branch collar, you've cut into the trunk of the tree. So it's it's something that unfortunately there's still people out there recommending. I, and it's crazy. And the other thing is people that are wanting to take a a fairly sizable limb off and they don't make that first cut far enough out to take the weight off the limb. Uh, I had an arborist tell me recently that he thinks one of the most damaging things you ever see happen is when somebody's cutting, even if they're cutting at the branch collar, but they haven't taken the weight off and that limb falls and just strips Rips, yeah. the bark all the way down the side of the tree, that that's just extraordinarily damaging to the tree. And uh, the other thing that uh, they've actually put some numbers to that I think a lot of people would be surprised is, you know, everybody's always worried about the structural integrity of a hollow tree, 
But the uh, arborists are now saying that if you have that good solid layer all the way around a cavity, that that tree, even if it's a huge cavity, is probably 80% as strong as a tree that has no cavity in it. So this idea of cutting down a tree just because it has a cavity in it is just totally bogus. If you if you handle the situation properly, you've got a tree that has potential to live for centuries, even with a big cavity in it. Yeah, it's uh, the outside of the trees what uh, what's important. Well, <clears throat> we're we're getting the word out to people as much as we can. We just keep hammering away at it. If people, any of your listeners haven't seen it yet, the uh, men will take a look at the uh, fabulous tree slideshow we've got on our, our website. It's um, it's pretty cool. All the shots have uh, cut lines under them explaining what you're looking at, and it goes from planting properly through management and through all of the fabulous trees uh, that I know about around the world, including the ones I work with. By the way, i got good news about the pecan tree in Weatherford. I talked to the uh, officer over there that owns it uh-huh. a couple of days ago. I've been, <laughs> been a little nervous about calling and talking to him. He said that it made it through the uh, the last couple of storms beautifully and is still in uh, in good shape. Very good. Very good. Well, at, uh, it, you know, we've got some weather coming up that people may be looking for something to do inside, and I, I can't think of anything more fun than looking at your fabulous trees, and, and that's up on DirtDoctor.com now for anybody to take a look at. Yeah, if you go to the website, we uh, Doug just keeps refreshing it, and it's if you look at the top of the page, the, that uh, list of things over to the right, mm-hmm. those are the most recently uh, edited, changed, or new things added to the website, and we keep the fabulous trees showing right there. Very you good. Can look it up in the library, just everything's in alphabetical order, but that's the easiest place to find it. And it's free and open to the uh, public now. <laughs> and anybody that, uh, you know, I recently renewed uh, renewed my membership to the Organic Club of America and certainly encourage everybody to do that because you then have access to so many other things. One thing that I, I meant to ask you about earlier, do you know, and I, I, you may even have it somewhere on the website, but I was going to look for a list of plants that uh, do form associations with mycorrhizal fungi, both endo and ecto. I know there are a handful that don't, like amaranth, which is the one we always joke about, and broccoli and a few things like that. But do you know if there is a, a list out there specifically of the ones that don't form mycorrhizal associations, and even more specifically, which ones favor the endo and which favor the ectomycorrhizae? It's probably there. It's probably something we need to make a definite entry on our site. I don't remember offhand. It's a very small percentage yeah. Yeah. of plants. Most plants do, you know, up to and including orchids and things like that. Oh, yeah. They kind of surprise people, but it, uh, that's a good idea. We need to do that. Just people doing a search for it i think it would come up pretty uh pretty easily no, very good well it it came to mind especially in in reading this article about the interesting association between how humates work with mycorrhizal fungi to improve plant health but uh anyway when well there's not my, when there's not mycorrhizae there's some other microbes that benefit in just a equally positive way so mm-hmm. it's it's just uh, some plants don't have that specific mycorrhizae. Right, right. Well, as always, the learning experience, uh, visiting with the dirt doctor, and uh, hope uh, 
hope, hope you get a, a, a enough of your work done today that you get to get some golf in uh, through some of this nice weather we're going to have. We're we're looking at potentially some pretty cold temperatures, I think, uh, starting Monday night here, and uh, most of that stuff comes through Dallas on its way down here. So we may we may have uh, our first real freeze to talk about next week. Well, that's okay. It's time for it to happen. Y'all enjoy the weather down there, and we'll see you guys next week. We'll look forward to it, Howard. We'll talk to you soon, and as always, we thank you. We'll talk to you again. All right, Howard Garrett is uh, the Dirt Doctor and DirtDoctor.com. If you've not explored that Internet uh, wonder, you need to do so, because truly I think it is the best website on the Internet, and it's full of information that is applicable to Texas. That's a problem. There's, There's so much plant information out there on the Internet, but so much of it, totally does not apply to what we do in uh, South Texas. I think you'll find that about 99.9% of the information you read on DirtDoctor.com will certainly be very, very applicable down here. Phone lines are open. We've got 26 minutes left in the show, and I see both Jim and Martin already in the producer's room there. So be thinking of your questions for the Home Improvement Show as well. And by the way, speaking of other shows, if you haven't discovered that Randy Adams is back on uh, in that half hour preceding the start of our show, on Saturday mornings. Uh, Randy's just a great guy. I have to tell you that uh, one thing he did for me a while back, I had a car to trade in on purchasing a new vehicle. Neither wanted to give me $1,000 for it, took it to Randy, and he got me like $4,000 for it. So listen to uh, Learn to Buy and Sell Cars with Randy Adams, uh, 5.30 here on Saturday, or 5 o'clock here on Saturday mornings before uh, you tune into the Garden Show. All right, let's get back to gardening. It's going to be Anna, and then it's going to be Darla, and then Mike. Good morning, Anna. Good morning. Good morning. How are you today? Oh, enjoying the beautiful weather. Yes, it's going to be a gorgeous weekend. <laughs> yes. So now my question is, now this is, I have kind of put it off, put it off, thinking that normally we don't get a freeze until about the 2nd of December. Right. And, and we're starting real early this time, so I'm really having to hustle and cover my plants and all that. I um, Do I have to cover my lemon trees? The kind of weather that they are predicting right now would not be damaging to your lemons because the Myers lemons are typically cold hardy down to about 26 degrees and the coldest I've seen for San Antonio is maybe 30 so I think that you probably are going to get a pass on this one but watch that forecast closely because sometimes they change your mind at the last minute the nice thing about the uh this insulate fabric one of the better row covers is that it lets enough light through that you could wrap up your lemon trees and leave it on for an extended period of time and there'd still be enough light go through that the lemons would uh, continue to grow and get all the light they need but um at least for what tonight's or what this week's forecast is i don't see anything that i would really worry much about your lemons now limes i would definitely protect limes but lemons no i think you'd probably be okay Okay, because I have a lime tree, a little one of the little bitty limes, uh-huh. and it's up against a wall where the north wind does not hit it, you know. Sure. Uh, so I have never covered that, and it's beautiful. So I'm going to have the winter this year. Maybe I should protect it. Well, let's just wait and see what happens. This is this is going to be. Probably a little bit of a frosty period, but not a real hard, hard freeze. So I think it's just kind of a wake-up call that, as you said, winter may be coming a little bit early this year. 
I know. It scares the heck out of me because I don't <laughs> want to wind up like up north, the people that can't even get out of their house. Isn't it funny how uh, everybody talks about global warming and, and yet we're yeah. headed into a really super chilly period? And no, you know, I know people up in some of the Mountain West regions that literally have a door on the second floor, which is how they have to come and go in parts of the winter. And I'm like you. Let's just don't tell them how nice it is down here in the winter. Oh, God. We're already having all kinds of people from Florida and California. <laughs> and from up north, you know, during the winter time, everybody comes down here. Anyway, right. getting back to my garden. Yeah. You know, last year I have a beautiful, a huge uh, um, uh, uh Persimmon tree, mm-hmm. oriental persimmon with right. no, le- no seeds, no nothing. How do I? How can I get some more trees like that? How many? Uh, other than going to the nursery, can I cut a limb off and plant it, or what? You it doesn't usually work very well to uh, you know to just cut a limb and try to root it. But mm-hmm. do you have any other persimmons that have seeds? No. Okay, you might find a friend that has a persimmon tree one of the varieties that does have seeds plant one of those or two or ten of those seeds and get a little tree started and then it's really pretty easy to graft a limb off of your tree onto you know a different rootstock and you bypass the having to go through the maturing process when you're grafting uh, wood from a tree that's already mature you can even have persimmons the first or second year so um, your best bet's going to be to get somebody to start a persimmon from seed from you and then do a little bit of grafting. I don't think you'd have much luck trying to uh, to grow a cutting from your tree. Because last year, normally I get, I, I'm not lying, I get about three to maybe three and a half bushels of right. persimmons off of my tree. Yeah. And they're big. Last year, or this year, I, I only had about uh, maybe about 20. Yep. Uh, you know, it just uh, what happened, I don't know. It was weather. The weather just got too cold at the wrong time, and uh, it it froze uh, a lot of the little flower buds before they had time to open uh, to get the fruit started. But, you know, usually when we have a year like that where the production is much lower, the following year, Mother Nature kind of makes up, and we have more more than ever. So hopefully this will be a really, really good winter for you this year. I might get four bushels instead of three. That <laughs> uh, would be a good thing. Okay, one more thing, and I'll let you go. I, um, I threw out some uh, blue bonnet and red poppy seeds uh, right at the edge of my front lawn. Uh-huh. Normally, I do it all over my lawn. This year, I said, no, I'm going to put it over there so I can have a walk between. And Lord and behold, then that's when the city decided to put some sidewalks. Oh, my. So they're digging up all the area, the, the little area where I had put the blue bonnets in and where I had thrown the seats. I still have blue bonnet seats, so I can put them out until, what, December, January? I would get them out as quickly as possible because, as you know, they need to form that little rosette of leaves. Uh-huh. So I would try to put up a little, you know, just a wire across or something so they don't tromp all over everything working uh-huh. at putting in those. But I would get, I would try to get your seeds planted in the next week or 10 days. This is just the perfect weather with this kind of drizzly, rainy uh, period, and that's what we're supposed to go back into uh, midweek. So I get those seeds out as quickly as you can, Anna. As, as long as the birds don't get in first. Well, okay. the birds birds don't really seem to go after the wildflower seeds much. So uh, really? 
Yeah, I, okay. I don't think you have to worry too much about that, but you do need to get them planted uh, in the next couple of weeks if you can. Wait, one more, and I'll let you go. Uh, when can I plant the grass? I neglected my backyard, and it looked terrible. I got weeds and cracks in there, but I am trying to kind of bring it back to life. I'm going to throw, I want Bermuda. Mm-hmm. When can I put the Bermuda seed out? About May, about Mother's Day. You're just, you'd be wasting your time to put it out now. You know, I'd think about maybe getting a little bit of winter rye just to put something out there so you won't have mud this winter. But uh-huh. Bermuda seed has to have very, very hot weather to germinate and grow. So we're we're several months away from planting Bermuda seed. But you could plant some of one of the winter ryes out there, and uh, you'll have a beautiful green area within a week or so, and that would cut down on the mud for the winter months. And then you'd be all set when uh, warmer weather returns. But I'll let you know when it's time. Probably going to be April or May most years. Very well. I thank you for your advice and uh, have a good. I, I I hope I don't have to call you, but uh, happy holidays before. Well, you know, I always look forward to hearing from you, Anna. You have a wonderful Veterans Day, and uh, we'll just talk again when we need to. Okay. Yeah, come springtime. There you I go. Know. Okay. Bye bye. Have a good one. You too. Bye. All right. Let's uh, get Darla in here. Good morning, Darla. Good morning, Bob. Good morning. I'm enjoying this cool weather, too. I think everybody is going to be a couple of beautiful days to spend out in the yard this next couple. It sure will. Uh, First of all, I have a question about a Texas or Mexican olive. I have a friend who looked this up on the net and claims that it's toxic. I have never, ever heard that. Is it toxic to animals? I think if you ate a 100 of them, it might be, but... uh, I, if, if it is toxic, it's a very low toxicity. I've never heard of any animal getting sick from eating it. Now, regular olives, and of course, Texas olive is not an olive at all. In fact, it's a right. genus, uh, Cordia. But, uh, regular olives will sure make you, will sure turn your stomach if you eat them without brining them. But, uh, um, I'm, I'll ask Dr. Kirby tomorrow, but I've not heard that there's any toxicity associated with them. I hadn't either. I'd never heard it. And of course, everybody blows up and exaggerates the toxicity of shadows, <laughs> and, and, and it's just typical of what you find on the net. Well, yeah, just we got to sensationalize everything and make it sound like something horrible. Absolutely. Okay. Well, I had dug up one and potted it and gave it to her, and then she looked it up on the net, and because they have horses across the fence, she's afraid that they're going to kill all the horses they have (laughs) i would not let that be serious concern if she doesn't want it i think you can probably find a friend that would love to have it hey i told already told her if she doesn't want it i'll take it back and plant it in my own yard (laughs) there you go well listen have a wonderful weekend and uh i'll let you know if i learn otherwise but i think it's perfectly safe Okay, and if it were toxic at all it would be the olives the fruit on it that would be toxic right not the leaves yeah because she was even saying the leaves were toxic. Okay, well, I I knew the expert would know. <laughs> well, I've never seen that to be a problem. Um, and, you know, horses are kind of weird, and if somebody had their $100,000 thoroughbred, I probably wouldn't want them to eat anything yeah. outside of, uh, you know, good hay. But uh, I'll ask Dr. Kirby tomorrow, and we'll see if he knows of any concerns. I appreciate it. If I get a chance, I'll be listening to you. <laughs> we'll be here. Thanks, Darla. And I say good morning, Mike. Good morning, Bob. How are you? Good, sir. How about you? Doing well. Hey, I talked to you about six weeks to two months ago about planting some 
St. Augustine grass up at Kingsland, Texas, like LBJ. Yes, sir. Uh, after after the flood, a lot of it got washed out. We were ready to start planting. We didn't get it quite done. We thought, is it too late to do it now? Should we wait till spring? Oh, no, no. If you're putting down sod, you can do it right now. Uh, just remember the same precautions I gave you before. You need to plant it the day you get it. But, uh, no, I think we've still got probably six weeks of good time for uh, planting St. Augustine sod. And um, just, you know, again, check on your availability, get it and get it laid and rolled immediately. Uh, you'll need to water frequently, but it's going to spend the winter growing roots, so I think you're just fine to put it out. I probably would put a little cornmeal out, putting it out this late, just to head off any brown patch problems. But no, sir, I don't think you've missed your window at all. And fertilizer like normal? I would put a little fertilizer on the ground underneath. With organic products, you can do that. Put a little lead down and lay your grass directly on top of it. Okay, I just looked in on me. I want to be sure it wasn't going to be too dormant or anything like that for it to grow. But. No, just be sure you can get good grass, and I would not hesitate at all to plant it in the next week, Mike. I think it would be a great thing to do. Thanks a lot. Hey, always a pleasure. Thank you, sir.